Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Bridging Impact Podcast, a podcast that is passing wisdom to the next generation of youth sports coaches and parents to impact our athletes as leaders. Our guest today is Greg Berg. Greg is a high school principal, varsity basketball coach, owner of GV1 Leadership, has a newsletter on culture, leadership, and building teams. He does sports leadership summits in Minnesota, and he helps out schools and teams and leaders in the state of Minnesota to help them impact the next generation even more. So in our conversation today, we talk about biggest learnings and mistakes he made when he was a younger coach. We talk about building culture and so much more. So you already know, without further ado, let's dive in. Hello and welcome to the Bridging Impact Podcast, Greg. I am thrilled to have you on today and have you pass the wisdom on that you have accumulated over the years to our audience to bridge that impact to those coaches and parents that are listening for our athletes to create better leaders for the next generation. So welcome to the podcast, Greg. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. I appreciate all you do and uh, looking forward to, to learn from you as well and, and chat and um, grow the game a little bit, grow leaders. Absolutely. So the first question that I have for you is what is your definition of impactful leadership? Uh, you know, great question. I think, you know, I have a unique role where I'm, I'm a high school principal and I'm also a varsity boys basketball coach and kind of had uh, some unique experiences along the way where I, I coached um, as a teacher for, um, you know, seven years as a head coach. And I, I had to get out of coaching to get my principalship. And so I got out of that, um, was a principal for eight years, had an opportunity to come back to the school where I was a teacher at and coach at. And uh, in doing so, the basketball position opened up again. So I was able to get back in. I've been doing both. So from a leadership piece, you know, I'm speaking from a, a coach perspective, a school leader perspective. And, you know, the easiest way for me to define leadership is influence. I think uh, the John Maxwell definition is is by far the best. Um, leadership is influence. And, and it's not position. It's not title. It is your ability to kind of... Uh, show the path, um, lead the way, um, and, and really bring others along that journey with you and, and really help guide them, uh, whether it's a team, whether it's a school, um, guide them through uh, a key word, which is influence. And um, I think when you think of leadership that way um, and how you can influence other people, both positively and negatively, uh, that's really all you need uh, to know about that word. Uh, how do you increase your influence then becomes the question. Yeah. So I, I'd love to dive in right there as an, as a, you know, you talked about titles and I do think, you know, leaders don't have to have X title, CEO principal, but as someone with, you know, the authoritative title, like how do you make sure and take on that extra responsibility to create a culture of leadership with your, within your school? You know, number one is you, you hire great people. Um, you know, if, if you hire great people, your job becomes a lot easier. And, and I think the ultimate goal of any type of leader is to lead from the from behind, lead from the rear, um, hire great people, set a, a direction or a course that you're going, um, and then let your, your people kind of do what they need to do. And you're just kind of nudging them, moving them along, influencing them in that direction. And, and there's times as a leader that you have to step out in front. Um, you know, for whatever reason it may be, 
but then to get in the, the back again and just kind of keep guiding your team. And I think the same thing goes with coaching and teams is, you know, I, I think ideally player led teams win. And as a coach, if we can create a player led team, we're going to have the most successful team we can have. So how do you do that? And then how do you kind of let them maneuver through that um, with you guiding them on the side? I think that's, that's a big part of it. Right. And I, from my minimal experience, like working with other coaches, I feel like one of the things that coaches have a hard time doing is, you know, when you're talking about player led, that's relinquishing a lot of control for a coach, right? You're, you're giving and you're empowering the decisions a lot of times to be made by the players. So in your experience, how have you started to kind of relinquish some of that control and, you know, whether it can be your, your staff at the school or your players on your team? You know, I, I think with the, the team piece, you know, you still, as a coach, you have a lot of control over the culture. So um, that's a non-negotiable is, is the decisions that you have to make to make sure your culture is um, going in the right direction. And that's where you're non-negotiable. That's where you are firm, direct, in control. For me, um, it, it, I, here's the best example. When I was a young coach, I'd say my first seven years coaching. Um, I was also a football coach and I was an offensive coordinator and I kind of coached basketball like I coached football a little bit where, you know, you're, you're in control, you're calling a set, you're calling an action. Um, and I never really felt like I was a great offensive coach back then. I always felt I was more of a good defensive coach. But then when I stepped away um, and we had success, I mean, we, we won our conference a couple times. We were above 500 at pretty much every year. Um, but then, you know, I stepped away to becoming a, a principal and, you know, I, I didn't coach for eight years at the varsity level. And during that time, my kids kind of grew up, um, and my, my son and daughter got in second grade, third grade, and I coached them all the way through. And, you know, I, I, I remember contacting a colleague saying, you know, what, what do you do to teach second graders the game? You know, what, what's out there right now? And, and the whole read and react concept, five and out, five out um, basketball was out there and I loved it. And so that's how we taught the game to my son's group in second grade. Um, and then when the, the basketball job opened up, the varsity job back in Lake City, I think my son was in third, fourth grade and I got it. We implemented that and circling back, I went from being a coach that really controlled actions and possessions to letting the kids play and teaching them how to play. Mm -hmm. Such a more powerful way to coach, such a, a different way to coach, because now I'm teaching them how to play the game and giving control up during the game, which, you know, basketball is a free-flowing game. It's not like football where play is done, you come back to the huddle, you it's like a chess match with the defensive coordinator. Uh, basketball is free-flowing, and and that's one thing that I really learned is, is just to, you know, teach the how more than the, you know, the, the X and the O or the, um, the specific action. I mean, we have actions, we obviously have set plays, but it's just a different mindset. hundred percent. And before I want to dive into the, to the how teaching how to play, which I'm a big believer in as well. It's one of the reasons that I love watching the Warriors play is just because the flow that they play with. But before that, I want to talk about, you were talking about a non-negotiable culture that you were creating and obviously enforcing. I want, I'm curious that if I walk into, you know, your team's gym, what does that culture look and sound like? 
you know, I, I was fortunate in that the, the guy that I replaced was kind of a, a hall of fame coach in Minnesota and had a lot of success. And so from a culture piece, there was a lot established and that was, you know, 1998. Um, and you know, when you have a culture established, you can lose a culture in a heartbeat. Um, and so the most important thing is to maintain that culture, but you're going to see, uh, you know, disciplined, um, practice, you're going to see efficient practice. You're going to see, um, hopefully, a, a fairly loud gym where kids are encouraging each other and pushing each other. Um, you're going to see uh, a shorter practice. You know, I don't believe in going, you know, a long time. You're going to see kids that share the basketball. You're going to see kids that play the right way that compete and that are tough. Um, and you're going to see just kind of a more of a, you know, I'm going to say a kind of a blue collar, uh, mindset and mentality with our players. Um, and, and really how we play the game is how I want our practice to go, which is we're not going to turn the ball over. We're going to take good shots. We're going to defend very well. And, uh, we're going to use analytics to our advantage uh, when we can. Yeah. So you're using that grit and, kind of, you know, playing smart basketball instead of, you know, playing, you know, fancy, right. You know, cross, 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 you know, try and, you know, make highlight plays for that look great on Instagram. You're just going to play good fundamental sound basketball. And I think that that's really important. And so I'm curious, you know, kind of transitioning into that second part of the question you were talking about earlier in terms of teaching how to play the game. I feel like for, for youth, one of the things I'm finding that that's challenging, I think for them is they have a trainer. Now they go to this gym and, and they have a coach here that they have their AAU coach and then they have their high school coach. So I'm curious how you get your message, you know, you know, right within your, your organization. And, and you teach that those fundamentals of how and connecting, you know, obviously drills and skills, but to, to the game and game application, because again, I, I go to the park and I see a lot of trainers doing things that I'm just like, they're never going to do this in a game. And if they do, it's going to be like with one or two seconds left. And, you know, like I, I believe in training kind of smart and efficient, like you were talking about earlier. Yeah. You know, one of my favorite quotes is the Pete Carrill quote, the former Princeton coach. Um, and I'm not going to get the quote exact, but, you know, he said, you got to understand the, the concept of greed and greed in basketball. And what that means is, um, in the off season is your chance to improve as an individual, the off season, go to the trainers, go do all that stuff. What you're really doing is you're being selfish with your own play. Like I want to get better as, as an individual, I want to get better myself, but you have to understand that the second that that team starts and our, mm. our season starts that that individual greed that you need to have to get better in the off season goes away. Cause now it's all about team and you have to bring, all of that individual selfish approach to getting better. And you got to find out how your role can fit in our team. And we talk about role definition a ton. Um, I do some things with uh, a preseason self-perception handout that I can talk about. Um, but as a coach, we have to value every role. We have to define every role. We have to be very clear with every role. And we got to preach and talk team all the time. You know, I'm, I'm really proud of how we play. We have, I mean, we have four kids playing in college right now and all four of them are having a ton of success at different levels and they all play the same way. And I hear the same thing from college coaches all the time. Like, I mean, we got two kids that are now starting on the same college team and they're, they're two of the smartest kids um, 
that I've ever had as, as players, just basketball IQ and knowing the game. And um, I, I'm proud of that. You know, we got a kid at University of Northern Iowa that's been a two-year starter that um, I just actually went to visit him yesterday and talked to their, you know, Ben Jacobson and their coaches. And, you know, they're both like, how do we get Nate to shoot more? You know, and um, Nate's a, a great player. He's uh, He needs to, you know, kind of step up his role this year and shoot more. But I also said that's, that's kind of who he is. It's how he's wired is he's not going to settle for just throwing up a shot for himself. He wants to get the best shot for the team. And uh, so, yeah, he needs to shoot more. He needs to do that, but um, he's not going to take bad shots. It's not how he's wired. Um, role de- definition is incredibly important as coach, as coaches. For me as a, this is going to be my first time in a competitive coaching environment. Like I did, I've done the middle school basketball, right? Like that's everyone plays relatively equally. I mean, the better players play a little bit more, but in general, like now I'm in the high school arena. So for me, you know, what are, what are your thoughts on how I can, like, I already know I, we've, I, I see my team. I know some of it, right. But I'm curious, like how you, you know, define those roles and, and how much intangibles of like body language and leadership and like the kind of, you know, heart and hustle go into your roles. Yeah, I mean, I think you can view roles two different ways. You can view roles like skills on the basketball court, and then you can view roles like like leadership. Like there's multiple styles of leadership, and there, I really believe in collective right. leadership. I mean, yeah. there's many different ways that kids can lead. You don't have to be on the court to be a leader, right? You don't have to be playing in the game to be a leader. So roles, are, are that's a very diverse question. But on the court with basketball, you know, we run a, a five-out read and react motion type offense. What I love about that, I can take my team every year and I can look at our skill set. And, and one of the first things I, I look at is number one, um, we always work inside out, whether that's through dribble penetration or post or whatever. How are we going to get inside? Who are our creators to get inside? Mm. Who can we post up? And, and that's how I always start. And then, you know, we may have guys that, um, you know, not everyone earns the right to shoot, right? Shooting is, is earned. Shooting is earned through practice. And so who are your shooters? Um, what's a good shot for player A may not be a good shot for player B. Maybe someone's a great screener. Maybe their role is going to be to rebound and defend. Really setting up an offense and a system centered around your creators or your people that are going to get inside the paint and creating a system using the read and react out of that is something that I love as a coach because we're teaching kids the how and we're defining their roles within our system. Kids also have to understand that roles change. I mean, if I pull player A out of the game and I bring in someone else, I, you know, we have to change who maybe we're going through. Um, and, and that's really important for kids to understand. They go on an AAU team, they have different roles. They come to a high school team, different roles. Every team, every group, different role. And then the same thing goes with leadership. Um, you know, roles, are, are you a, you know, are you a locker room leader? Are you a, you know, are you a on the court leader? Are you a in-game leader? Are you a um, behind the scenes leader? Are you a, a humor leader? I mean, there's a lot of different leadership type of skills um, and defining those for kids are important. Yeah, a thousand percent. And I think one of my questions is, I'm curious, uh, do you like, I'm sure as a coach, you, you build with that intuition and, and 
I'm guessing you have those one-on-one -on -one conversations of, okay, I see you as that humor leader. You know, I, I have one of the players on the varsity team that I'm at, like he doesn't talk much, but the dude is always putting in extra shots. That's a leader, right? Yeah. Cause that makes other people want to, you know, put in extra shots at the end. So do you have those one-on-one -on -one conversations with your players? Absolutely. And, and I do it in front of the group. I mean, one-on-one, -on -one, but they all have to know. I mean, you got to really operate in my mind, like, completely honest and no surprises and talk about people's strengths and what they bring to the team. Cause you're showing value to that no matter their role. Um, and I think that's incredibly important to do with, with a team. Um, so yeah, I think all of, all of those discussions have to happen, um, with individuals, but also collectively the group. Right. And so having those, you know, tough and honest conversations are, is, is essential to a team's well-being, a team's success. I'm curious, you know, do you, how do you, do you have those conversations probably earlier on in the year? Because I remember I went to a USA basketball clinic and I'm pretty sure his name is Mike Jones. He's the, one of the, the coaches at, for Virginia Tech. And he, you know, kind of broke down like, you know, how many shots do you really think you're going to get in a game? How many minutes do you think? And he really broke it oh. down in a season, what it, what it really truly is. And it like put pers into perspective for me because I've always been a role player. So I've always like kind of accepted that, but I know that, you know, like you're talking about when I'm curious how you get players to buy in when in reality, they think they want to shoot 10 times in a game, but really they probably average maybe three to five and it probably could be less depending on, you know, their ability to shoot and ability to create. Couple, couple things with that. I think, you know, number one, um, and, and this, this is something I'm proud of because I think it says a lot about our culture, but um, we've, we've won our conference the last eight years, okay? In each of those eight years, we have started a ninth or 10th grader on our varsity. To put that in perspective, uh, in 2017, which is a year we went to the state tournament. We started two freshmen. Um, we had never started a freshman in the history of Lake City basketball. It's not a normal thing for us, okay? So we have started four of those eight years a freshman and four of those eight years a sophomore. In each of those years, and I'm not kidding when I say this, my first day of practice, I don't even define who should go out. Like, let's say we're doing our first five guys come on the floor and we're going to start running through our shell of our offense. I'll say, all right, let's get five guys out here to, um, you know, to start our offense. All, all the, the freshmen stepped out on the floor and were one of the first five every, every time. And that's because it was kind of known. And so how does it become known? Well, number one, in our summer, those freshmen are involved in our summer varsity, and it does not take long for other guys to understand these kids are good and they deserve to be here. Okay, so you, you got to lay the foundation in the summer when we have our summer basketball so people see that. Um, and then the other thing I do is this self-perception handout at the beginning of the year. I, I have the kids fill out a survey, and this is online for free if people want to get it. I can tell you how after, but um, they fill out this form. We ask them questions about who are the three toughest players on our team, who are the three most positive leaders, etc. A lot of leadership stuff. Then we talk about roles. I have them rank one through, let's say we got 15 kids on the team, including yourself in these rankings. If you had, if we had a game tomorrow, who are our top five guys? Who's starting tomorrow if we have a game? 
Who are our first four guys off the bench? Who is our second tier group off the bench? It's not a perfect science, but I want you to rank who our top five are, where you are at, and where everyone is at. I take all of that, I put it in a spreadsheet. I sort it, no one sees this but me. I sort it all, and I can see player A has themselves as number five. They think they're gonna start. The rest of the team has them as number 10. I have them as number 10. Well, that tells me I need to have a one-on-one -on -one with player A. Mm. And, and it, it also gives me data. I've never had to use it, but if I ever had a parent that like was questioning role or anything, it okay. gives me data to say, you know what? This is where I see your son, but guess what? This is where his teammates see him, or this is where he sees himself, you know? Um, also on that sheet, I, I asked them, how many shots do you feel you've earned the right to shoot every game? How many minutes have you earned the right to play every game? And then I'll tally all those up in the first practice. I'll say, well, guys, um, we're going to have to play really fast pace this year because we got to give up, get up, you know, <laughs> yeah. this many shots. And, and in a typical right. year, we only get this many shots, you know. So they kind of get the, you know, they get it and kind of joke with them about it, but it's one one thing we do to define roles. Uh, that's really interesting, and I'll have to you know get that from you as well because I feel like I'm a big believer in clar clarity is what you're talking about clarity of roles, and I feel like you yeah. know that self self perception you know survey gives an opportunity to really for number one for you to have data and for you to have the clarity of how the the players see their teammates, but it's also you know like you said for the parents if they ever have questions and and honestly for for each individual player like hey like let's be honest you're number twelve on you know like I could have been like oh I should have been the sixth man on the team you know but really I was the twelfth man but yeah. um, so just I, like I think it's really important for us as coaches you know we, most people have a parent meeting a preseason parent meeting of some kind to really be clear and upfront with parents on the, the purpose of a team. So, you know, I just had a post about this actually yesterday, my, my Twitter post um, was on this and it was about parents and the struggle. And I use my own son as an example in my, in, in my, my post, but um, my son was like our ninth or 10th man on our 2019, 2020 team. He didn't play a whole lot. We play about eight guys. He was kind of that, that next tier. He was still incredibly valuable on our team, had a very important role, was a leader. Um, but playing time, you know, at the varsity level, our goal is to win and to compete at a high level with the very best players we have in our school. Whether you're a ninth grader or a senior, we want to put the best team on the court we can. Now, as you move down JV, ninth grade, um, those roles are, or the, the philosophy is a little bit different. We're going to, we're going to play more guys. We're still not going to play everybody maybe on a competitive game. And, you know, but eighth grade and below, we're playing everybody and we're playing pretty equal. Um, we never use the word equal. We use quality. Um, and because you, you have to have that progression, but you got to be very clear with parents that this is the philosophy of this team. This is how playing time is going to work so that if they ever come to you, you always have that to fall back on. You knew. And, you know, I'm clear with your son. I'm clear with your daughter or whatever it may be. Uh, and that, that makes a ton of sense. And um, because it is like your varsity coaches are expected to win and it's a competitive environment. So 
But at the same time, I'm curious, you know, in your culture, how do you, you know, make sure that, cause I know for me, like I knew my role, my role was going to be the energy guy off the bench. I, I led the team in high fives and I knew I wasn't going to lead the team in points, assists, or rebounds, but that's okay. So I'm curious how you make sure that you tap into that eight through 12 on your roster to, to make sure that they feel like equally a part of the team and, and contributing. I think two things. I mean, the, the coach has a big responsibility to, to validate and show value um, to those kids and what their role is to give them jobs to do to uh, anytime you have the opportunity in a game, whether you're winning or losing to get those kids in to do it, um, you know, and to get them playing time. Uh, we do other things like we have Saturday JV um, opportunities to get those kids chances to play. Um, but also it's about your player leaders too. They have an incredibly important job with that. They have to keep the, the team connected and they're the ones that are in the locker room. They're the ones that know if things are surfacing behind the scenes. And you need them as a coach to put out those little brush fires to let you know as a coach if things are, are starting to heat up. Um, because if that's where you get into problems with the culture on your team, it's usually things behind the scenes that, that you're not aware of. And that's why player leadership is so important on a team. And you got to have that relationship and dialogue with your team leaders to talk about those type of things. Right. And I'm curious how you build some of those. Cause I, I'm, I've been reading, you know, the, how what, you went in the locker room first with John Gordon and Mike Smith. And, and I just read a chapter on connection and I'm a big believer in connection. And that's why I feel like, you know, some of the teams that I've been on were successful is because we really enjoyed being around each other. I'm curious, you know, how uh, your program fosters connection. You know, I, I think we're a small school. Okay, I mean, we're a school, we have 5,000 kids in our community, 100 kids a grade. Um, but it's it's one of the more successful, I would say, basketball programs in our state historically. Um, and so there's an added benefit when you're in a small school. These kids grow up together. Um, they grow up together. They know roles together. When I talk about our ninth or 10th graders that are having to be a part of our varsity, um, they know our varsity players. They're at summer camps together. They're playing with them it's kind of known naturally because of the community that we live in. And that makes it easier um, than if you're a big school, you're bringing a bunch of people together that don't know each other. Uh, that's a totally different animal to try to build that connectedness. Um, so I think we do purposeful things in our culture to try to, you know, get our younger kids and older kids, you know, working together, but it, it's easier in a smaller school. Right. And that, and that makes sense because now I, I, I went to a smaller school. And so that's probably why it was easier, but I definitely do notice, you know, now we're bringing in a lot of transfers and cause here in LA, like everyone's transferring. It's like high school is college. Yeah. So it's, it, it's definitely different. It's not something I, I'm not used to. So that'll be, you know, an extra challenge for me, but I'm definitely believe that teams that are more connected play better. Yeah. And you know, we, we have the same issue in Minnesota. We've got, I mean, our two years that we've gone to state in the last 2017 and 19 state tournament teams, um, you know, who we were rewarded with having to play up the state tournament, uh, two NBA lottery picks, uh, Jalen Suggs and Chet Holmgren. Uh, they both played for Minnehaha Academy, which is a smaller private school. So they're in our class, uh, a two way school. And, uh, you know, they had other division one athletes on that team as well. And, you know, we actually, in 2017, 
gave them probably their their best game of the tournament. You know, it was a four point game at half and ended up losing, I think, by fifteen. Um, and then we took third place in 2019. We lost to them in the semifinals. And again, um, it, it, you're, you're from a small town, but that becomes a positive for you is, is that role definition and the connectedness of those kids. Thousand percent. Yeah, no, that's, I think, you know, the benefits of continuity and connection. And so with that, you know, shifting gears a little bit, I'd love to, you know, have you share a little bit um, for for the newer coaches or the younger coaches that are listening to this episode on, you know, what are, you know, different things that you wish you knew when you were a younger coach? Yeah, you bet. I, it's one of the things I wrote about on Twitter that kind of caught wind. I mean, it had a lot of, um, a lot of interaction and engagement with, and, um, you know, these are not in any order, but I'll just kind of rattle a few off. And I think the, the first one is what I call the 20, 40, 60 rule, which, um, in your 20s, I, I think we we really worry about what other people think of us as a coach, as a person. Um, you're always worried about what parents are thinking or whatnot. In your 40s, you really don't care what other people think of you. And in your 60s, you realize that other people were not thinking of you to begin with. Um, and I think the sooner that you can get through that um, as a coach, the, the more important. I mean, I, I know coaches who have gotten out of coaching because um, they, they worry about the perception of other people that maybe their friends in our community have of them with athletes um, being in the program. And that, that can't happen. And I know a lot of athletes feel, or a lot of coaches feel that way, but you have to be confident in your own ability and know that you're doing the right thing for your team and and that's all that matters. And so that 20, 40, 60 rules is kind of a, a big one for young coaches to hurdle early on. Yeah, no, and, and that's exactly for me. I'm 24 years old and I'm, I'm still learning that, right? Like, I, I'll be honest, like I definitely still, I'll, I, I probably care too much about what, you know, other coaches, oh, do, does this athlete think I'm a good coach? Oh, does, does that parent think I'm a good coach? Right. So like, that's definitely, all, you know, being transparent with you and the audience that like, that's something I'm working through. And, and it's very normal. And, and I was, I yeah. was like that too. Um, and, and you, you know, you learn really quick and my role as a principal too, like you have to have thick skin. You got to be able to brush things off because you have to understand that, um, I, I am making the best decision I can for our school or for our team based on what I know and what I have. And that's good enough for me because I'm not going to please everyone. I'm not trying to please everyone. I'm just trying to make the best decisions for our team because that's what matters. Um, a couple of other ones, I, I think um, we talked about this a little bit, but simplicity and simple wins. Um, you know, I talked about referencing uh, teaching kids how to play the game as opposed to trying to control things. Less is more uh, in, in really everything. And it's, it's amazing that the longer I coach, the, the less control I have on, on things, the more I give to our team. And I think if I would have learned that earlier, um, you know, it would really change how I, I would have viewed things and, and coached. You got to focus on fundamentals. You got to focus on, um, you know, certain things, but I mean, by the end of the season, we're practicing an hour a night. Um, I, 
I really, less is more. Um, I'll give you a great example. During COVID, uh, we had played a team that had a kid that was COVID positive. So we had to quarantine for 10 days. So we couldn't have a practice. We couldn't do anything for 10 straight days. Um, we came back on that 11th day. We had a game that day. We had a quick shoot around in the morning for an hour. We played a game that night. We went 10 of 14 from the three-point line in the first half. We hadn't shot or been in a gym for 10 days. And that just kind of makes you think, like, um, mindset and being mentally prepared and focusing on the right things are oftentimes more important than, you know, all the X's and O's that we like to dive into. And I, I love X's and O's. It's still a challenge for me every year. I got a pile this thick right now going into our season of great sets and actions that I love. And I know, and it's a fight with my mind every year, like trash it, trash it, trash it, trash it. In the end, it's going to come down to a few things that we do well. Um, and that's a challenge. And it's been a challenge for a long time. Um, I think the, another one is the um, play the long game, uh, which is culture. Like, Short wins to sacrifice your culture culture will will kill you and kill your team if, if you do that. I really view culture as, as three words. It's what you allow. Culture is not the warm, fuzzy, rah-rah, you know, let's do team dinners, let's play laser tag. That's not culture, and I think some people feel that's culture. Culture is simply what you allow. Am I going to allow kids to walk in late to practice? Am I going to allow them not to give me eye contact? Am I going to allow them to talk to their teammates a certain way? Am I going to allow them to do all this fancy behind the back, you know, passing in a game? I mean, everything you think of it, am I going to allow that or not? Because what I allow, what I allow becomes our culture. The second thing is culture is what you emphasize. Pick three things that are important to you and emphasize those all the time. I am convinced if I wanted us to be the best rebounding team in our conference, I could do it without ever doing a rebounding drill. And how would I do that? I would talk about rebounding every single day. It would be a point of emphasis because kids are going to do what you emphasize. And so you can't emphasize everything. You got to narrow a few things that are important to you. Um, and, and then it's every day, culture's every day. So what you allow, what you emphasize, focusing on it every day, um, that's really what culture is. Uh, so play the long game. Um, moving along, I think just relationships are incredibly important. Um, that's got to be first and foremost with a coach. It's not about plays. It's about players. I would encourage coaches, you get in that end-of-game situation, don't think about what play you're going to run think about, or what play you're going to run, think about what player you're going to get the ball. Like that, that's the, get the ball in the right hand of your playmaker and let them make the play. Um, all too often we focus on, you know, the NBA approach to, to basketball, which as a high school coach rarely works. I mean, it might work one out of every 20 times you think you're a hero, but the reality is, just give your best player some space and and let them go to work sometimes is the best decision we can make. That makes a lot of sense. And I'd love to go back to one of your first points that you were talking about, um, about like, I'm curious, you know, what, you know, exactly. You said you've, you've given up control 
um, more and more each year. I'm curious, you know, what exactly you've kind of given up and, and empowered players to do. I think with our system, you know, that's why I've given up control offensively. I mean, it's, I don't, I don't want to say, I've, when I say I've given up control, I'm not calling a set play every time down the court. I am teaching kids how to play so that basketball becomes a free flowing game. That That's where I've given up, you know, control. There are times I bring control back. There are times where um, we haven't gotten a good look for three three possessions in a row, and we're going to get a look, good look. Um, but the, the teaching the how and the why as opposed to running a continuity-type offense where, um, you know, the, the, the system is supposed to give them the shot, that's a philosophical change that's been a big one for me. Um, I'm still pretty quote unquote controlling with our defense, but I'm, I'm going to say I'm very controlling with our culture and meeting with our leaders and making sure our leaders are trying to um, really be gatekeepers of our culture as well. Right. It's about being intentional with the athletes that, you know, we're, we're building relationships with. So I think that's a really good point. And I'm curious, you know, for, you know, what reflection exercises you do to, and do you emphasize different things every year based on, you know, the players you have, or are there three things that you and your program and your culture emphasize every year? Well, I, I think, um, you know, number one, how we play the game. And I kind of mentioned this at the beginning, you know, I, I could define our offense really in a few words. I could define our defense in a few words. And I could define what we value playing the game in a few words. Um, if you asked our players, you know, what does coach value playing the game? It's shot selection, defense, protect the ball. There you go. There's there's our our system. If you want to talk about how we play offense, um, here's here's what I'll tell our kids. Here's our offensive philosophy. Spacing. Inside out, shot selection. There you go. Um, we're going to do whatever we can to create space. We're going to have an inside out approach, uh, whether it's through the post or dribble penetration. And we're going to spend a lot of time talking about shot selection. There's our offensive philosophy. Defense, no paint, contest, rebound. It's that simple. We want to keep the ball out of the paint. We want to contest every shot. And we want to rebound. There's our system in a nutshell. And... When I first started coaching, I had the 10 principles of defense. I mean, this is a young coach, too many. Like, they don't remember that. You know what I mean? Um, So now I simplify it. I I used to be a coach, like, we're on the line, up the line. We're going to force to the short corner. You know, and I'm, I'm getting all picky. And most kids can't do that consistently at the high school level. So what do we do now? Just stay between your, stay between you and your man. The worst thing that can happen on defense is you give up a straight line drive. That's what breaks down a defense more than anything. So your number one job is to stay between your man and the basket and not give up a straight line drive. Now you may be guarding a kid that is a shooter and I want you to, you know, to to be willing to give up a drive because we don't want him to, to get a three point shot off or a guy that isn't a shooter, but in a nutshell, stay between your man and the basket. So really just trying to simplify it for kids um, I think is, is really important. Yeah, that's super important. And I feel like that's honestly something I'm grateful for working with, like in youth basketball, like with, you know, honestly, I work from four to 14. That's going to help prepare me because I have to really simplify it for them. So I, that prepared me to try and, you know, emphasize one or two things about a certain 
you know, right, like in defense, making sure that you stay between your man and the ball, no direct line drive to the basket, good shot selection on offense, spacing, right, keeping things very simple instead of, because you, you can like really overcomplicate things. And I think that is once you, once there's confusion, again, kids probably know their role less than when they're just like really clear on what success looks like for this offense, for this defense. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, ultimately the role of a coach or a leader is to instill confidence, hope, um, trust, commitment with our team. Um, that's our job. And so if we're overcomplicating things, are we instilling confidence in our players? If they're having to think on the court, we're not instilling confidence. We're their hesitation. And so as a coach, that's our job. That's our goal. How do we do that? You know, you got to be organized. Um, they have to believe in you. They have to know that that you're putting in the time as a coach. And all of those things are very important because in the end, I want a confident team that believes they're going to win, knows how to win, and is going to go out and compete. Um, and that's my job as a coach is to give them that mindset. Right. And, and you can't give them that mindset when you're giving too many things right keep it simple so as we kind of wrap up the the final segment of our, our conversation in the last two minutes of the fourth quarter as you can say yeah. um what what final words of advice would you give to to young coaches and and you sports parents you know uh to, to coaches I, I think you know going into the what i was kind of talking about just being a, a young coach um Number one, it all starts with relationships. Um, I, I think as you get older as a coach, you realize that more and more. I mean, when your own kids go through the system, you know, you you really think of everything in terms of people more. Um, I think sometimes when I was a young coach, you know, I'm so excited about the X's and O's and everything. You, you don't always focus on the, the, the personal level, the people, the relationship piece. And part of that's evolutionary as you age and, and with wisdom, but the sooner a coach can understand that, I think the better off, you know, they're, they're going to be. Um, so I think relationships always starts with everything. I think simplifying teaching how to play, um, being a really good communicator with parents and with your kids is really important. I think being a good communicator and being organized prevents a lot of the, junk that has to happen or happens with coaches with parents um being proactive with that is more important than anything and so uh not being afraid of those conversations with kids and parents but just being upfront proactive and um and communicating effectively is very very important simplicity relationship building communication being upfront i think those are all great pieces of advice that I know I, I'm going to try and instill into my practice as a coach. So I appreciate your time today. Where can people find and connect with you? And do you have any other resources you'd like to share with the audience? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm really active on, on Twitter. That's at GB1121. Um, I've been writing for six, six months, I suppose now, daily. Um, a lot of threads, a lot of, a lot of you know, it's, it's really blossoms way more than I, I would have thought. Um, if you go to my Twitter feed, I have a link to uh, uh, a one-page site. I have a couple free resources on there. My 300-hour club off-season workout plan for our kids 
is on there. We didn't talk about that. Um, Self-perception form that we talked about is on there. That's free. I, I wrote a book this summer called Culture Wins um, that I, I have 50 ways to build a winning culture in your program. Um, there's a EPUB version or a, a digital version, a PDF version, and an Amazon version. Um, and just a newsletter. I'm writing weekly a newsletter that um, I'm nearing a thousand subscribers to that newsletter. Um, this week's uh, post on, on Saturday is going to be on accountability and getting your leaders to help hold others accountable. So you can subscribe to that on my Twitter feed. Everything is, is through the Twitter feed. So just encourage people to check that out. All right. Perfect. We'll put that in the show notes. Make sure to go check that out. Audience, I there's a great, ton of great resources. I'm definitely going to go grab the self-evaluation sheet. And again, I appreciate your time for passing your wisdom and bridging that impact to our audience. And, and again, passing that impact on to the kids in the next generation. Thanks, Justin. I appreciate all you do um, and growing the, the game and growing coaching and leadership like this. I think it's awesome and deserve a lot of credit for that. So thank you for all you do and best of luck to you as well. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Bridging Impact Podcast. We'd love it if you would like, subscribe, leave a comment, and a review on whatever platform you're on. It's the best way to help us grow. We appreciate you for doing that. We'll shout you out on social media. I'd also love if you connected with me on social media. Let me know your thoughts, and this is why I do it. I want to share knowledge and wisdom from experienced leaders to people like yourself and myself so we can have this dialogue and move forward make an impact on the world. So... Stay tuned, stay subscribed, cheers.